0: Hello and welcome to another installment of Conf T with with ERSC. A quick reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed here are our own, and to please consult with Cisco TAC or Cisco Certified Partners before implementing any of the recommendations made on this show. I am your host, Brian Young, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Joey D. How's it going, Joe? It's going. <laughs> good, to, good to hear. Um, today we have a guest, uh, guest speaker today, uh, Sean Fury. Uh, Sean, why don't you uh, introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, So my name is Sean Fury. I'm a cloud security uh, engineer for Cisco covering uh, the products uh, Umbrella and CloudBlock.
0: Fantastic, and today it it just so happens that we're gonna be talking about Umbrella. Um, We're gonna be talking about protecting the edge uh, and what the edge is, uh, I guess is a good place to start, right, Uh, defining what that edge is of the network. Um, So, Sean, when when we're talking about the edge of the network, what, what do we really mean? sort of
1: where your firewall sits, sort of um, what's be- between you and the, and the WAN, right? Be- right. Right after your, uh, your, your your egress, so you're protecting your inner layer.
0: So it's really the, the boundary of the, the physical network, uh, the physical location really, and the, the rest of the, the internet or, or the cloud, right. per se, right? Right, right. Um, and that, that edge, that line is, is getting pretty blurry nowadays, right? I mean, we've got more and more cloud services um, that the companies are investing into our customers are investing into moving to the cloud, and that kind of extends their perimeter into those cloud services, right? And then we have more and more devices that are leaving the network, more and more uh, consumer devices or, or BYOD devices that are coming into the network. So that that boundary is getting pretty blurry these days. So there's definitely gonna be some struggles with protecting that edge because that that boundary is not as defined as it used to be, right? I've, I've said this a thousand times the the days of uh... of just a stateful firewall and antivirus the good old days those are gone so we have to we have to think differently and attack this differently so you know what are what are your thoughts on you know how we protect that edge as this becomes uh... more and more blurry
1: i think at that point you just have to kind of worry about the 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 endpoint right because wherever the endpoint is is kind of where you need to kind of worry about wh- where those threats are coming from since if they're not on the network, there's that that stateful firewall isn't really going to be isn't going to come into play. So at that point, you need to make sure that that there's a line of defense or multiple lines of, of of defense on an endpoint that's possibly sitting in a coffee shop, not even VPN back into the network.
0: That's a good point. And we actually um, our last episode was with Keith Manville, someone I know you work yep. with. Yes, um, you you guys definitely uh, cross paths uh, where we we talked about that specifically where the endpoint is the ultimate target, right? And if you have the endpoints walking past your firewall, physically walking past your firewall every day, mm-hmm. uh, those laptops that leave, the, uh, that leave the office and connect at home or, or at a coffee shop or whatever, um, you still need to be able to keep tabs on those devices, make sure they're protected, prevent them from going to the places they're not supposed to go, whether that's content uh, policy or security policy, right? So how do we effectively do this? Sean, I mean, what would be the best protocols to be, to be looking at if we're going to be to protecting all these different types of devices, whether they're on or off the network?
1: Well, right now, we have Cisco Umbrella, which is what we're going to speak about today, which, which which is the DNS layer, so we can stop the attacks um, regardless of, of where they are at, at the DNS level before it even reaches the machine. And obviously, defense in depth, right, going back to um, the last episode with, with AMP, right, you, you, you need an endpoint agent. I know this is about Umbrella, but figured if someone wants to go back and listen to that as well, that's also a good, uh, uh, a good way to start. But really, it's about kind of... Um, before it even reaches the endpoint, so that maybe Amp doesn't actually have to do anything. If we can stop it at, at the DNS layer, um, it's not never going to. Ha- it's never even going to reach that that person's machine, so they're not going to be able to encrypt those files or open a back door or, or 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 what have you.
0: Right, and we we talk a lot with the Cisco security model of the before, during, and after of the attack. Right, the Amp for endpoints uh, being uh, especially powerful in the after an attack. Right, the remediation mm-hmm. step. When it's already on the endpoint whether it's gotten through all those other layers of security or it's bypassed them completely like uh, thumb drives in the parking lot right um umbrella sits more on we the before side would you say in the before side correct okay so we're we're preventing those connections from even happening whereas a a firewall would kind of sit in the during right to prevent those uh those um intrusions from happening during the attack correct correct beautiful so by existing in the dns layer this gives us a, an advantage over um security products uh, or vendors that may you know go with the proxy type of deployment right where all the traffic has to proxy through them those devices are really going to be limited to usually ports 80 and 443 right they're looking for web traffic specifically right and yeah. not all command and control traffic or any other type of malicious traffic is over those protocols.
1: No, correct. And and, and that's why DNS protection is is kind of a, a step above that and, and better than that just because it's technically all ports and protocols, right? It's going right. to make a DNS request. It's blocked. If it's trying to go to an FTP site, we don't really care. We're just going to block it before we even return the IP address of that, of that malicious site. And to kind of... Um, pedal back on when you're talking about the firewall. So if someone is even on network and we're blocking it at, at, at the DNS layer, yeah, the firewall is there and nice to be able to, or, or even the proxy. But if you're doing DNS layer first, you're actually going to limit the uh, number of alerts, say, on those devices and also lessen the load on, on those devices as well.
0: Yeah, we actually had a customer, I believe, it, working with you um, that was specifically looking at um, paying for, finding the funds to be able to, to pay for Umbrella by um, basically monetizing the number he was able to monetize the um, to the dollar amount how much it cost for them to look at through each alert on the firewall. Right, you, remember, I remember you, that. you know who I'm talking yep, about, yep, right? Yep, I do. So they they were able to figure out okay it costs us two dollars and fifty cents uh, per event to investigate, and by putting Umbrella in place first and keeping those events from even happening, right, stopping that connection before it happens, they were able to figure out that okay we're going to be saving X amount of dollars per year, and that was more than enough to cover the Umbrella purchase, which they ultimately ended up going with. Right. So, the important, the important takeaway here is we don't care what port protocol application is being used. Uh, if it's doing a DNS lookup, uh, we're going to be able to use the, the power and the intelligence uh, that Cisco Umbrella offers to be able to block that connection from happening uh, in the first place. Um, so, I'm going to go off script here. What about if it's not a DNS lookup? What if we're connecting directly to an IP?
1: So with our roaming client, so back to protecting the endpoint, wherever it is, we do have an IP layer enforcement feature. So okay. that essentially we have a known list of blacklisted, uh, IP addresses. So if a piece of malware tries to circumvent DNS and go direct IP, we'll go ahead and, and block that with, with that particular functionality.
0: Very cool. I think it definitely covers all the bases there. Yeah. Even though we're DNS based,
1: we still obviously have that IP layer. And then we also have, um, our selective proxy, which we'll be going into shortly.
0: All right, so before we get a little too ahead of ourselves here, Sean, um, maybe you can kind of start uh, start back a little bit. So we, we defined what the edge is. Uh, we've talked about Umbrella. Can you give us a bit of an intro of Cisco Umbrella, what it is, where it came from, uh, et cetera?
1: Definitely. So um, I'm sure most people listen to this podcast, or at least I hope they would know, um, Umbrella is OpenDNS. So OpenDNS was started back in 2005 by David Yulovich. It was a recursive service. It was mainly used for um, just having a, a, a faster internet, just a, a faster resolution time, um, parental controls and things like that. And then at at some at, at one point, a couple of years after that, they decided, hey, we have all this all this DNS data. I think there was at one point where we were seeing 50 billion requests a day. Now we're seeing 180 billion, which is around 4% of the world's DNS traffic. But we were like, okay, wh- what are we going to do with all this data? So at that point, we said, let's become a security company, right? So So, mm-hmm. so let's use this data for something meaningful. Like Google, obviously... They're seeing loads of traffic. Who knows what they're doing with, with that data? They're definitely doing something. They're just not telling us, right? So right. We're, we're using all of these models on the back end, and we can, with, with the number of queries that we're seeing, we can predict, say, command and control attacks before they actually happen. We can look at DNS queries in, in different pieces of the puzzle and say, okay, this looks like someone's starting to stand up infrastructure for a particular command and control or, or ransomware attack. So that's and then in two thousand fifteen, Cisco purchased OpenDNS um, and, re- and rebranded it Cisco Umbrella. And now we're kind of here we are today with with our enterprise level DNS based security that um, also has OpenDNS's original research team. Um, but mm-hmm. obviously, we're also being fed in by Cisco Talos. I don't know if you've done a Talos. Um, Not yet.
0: We're gonna. I'm, okay. I'm going to talk to the guys. I think we're going to do a. Beers with Talos and shots with our URC mix. Uh, <laughs> very <laughs> yeah, nice. I like, it. I
1: like it, yeah. Yeah, so so with Talos and OpenDNS, and then the 4% of the world's DNS traffic, it's probably higher now. The, the number's constantly um, going up. But it's just a, a very easy way to block attacks before they even really happen.
0: I think the, the that stat is is staggering. 180 billion requests per day, and it's still single-digit percentage of the, the world's I DNS know, traffic. I know, right? That's, that's just insane. I, I see that graph climbing up and we'll, we'll include a link to the um, to the system status page that includes the uh, number of um, DNS queries per day as well as the status of all the data centers uh, around the world. So, you know, speaking of system availability, right, um, I believe I've heard some rumors that um, OpenDNS since its inception has maintained 100% up, uptime.
1: Right, There's, we've, we've never been down per se. So it's just mm-hmm. because w- and we've never had an outage. It's it's due to any cast routing. So uh, we use BGP to um, announce our, we have our four uh, resolver addresses, two of them everyone already knows, right? 208.67.222.222. 208.67.220.220. Um, and we announce those uh, out of all of our data centers. So depending on, on where you are, you can use the same uh, IP addresses. And then de- depending on, on your ISP and, and who they're peering with, you'll be routed to the closest one. So even if we had to take out, um, for example, I, I'm hitting the, the New York data center, and I imagine you would be too in your location. Yeah. If we ever had to take New York out, if for some reason it did go down, um, you would automatically be rerouted to the next closest data center, uh, mo- most likely Virginia. And you wouldn't even notice because you would just be routed out a different path, and then you would hit the, the different DC in your DNS would be uh, resolved without any issue,
0: and it might take a couple extra milliseconds to go down that far. But right. from a user experience, it's not going to be not going to be significant enough to be noticed. Correct. Sure. Yeah, um, I mean,
1: we even even seen reports too where you know DNS lookups increased um, by switching over to Umbrella. So you get the reliability with all the data centers, you get increased DNS, mm-hmm. and then obviously the intelligence with Cisco Umbrella and Talos.
0: That that's a great point, Joe, um, and I, I'm glad you brought it up too because. As, as Sean listed out, the IP addresses here, you do not need to be a Cisco Umbrella customer to use those IP addresses today uh, at home, at work. Uh, at, in fact, we still offer the, the personal oh, home accounts for d- free,
1: right? Definitely, and we still have um, a new DNS monitoring package, which, which is free as well to get um, at least base-level reporting. Um, and, and again, we're still open DNS at heart, right? So we're still going to res- resolve your DNS regardless if, if you
0: pay us or not. That's awesome, and uh, I'll, I'll make a special notation here. During the Dyn attack of what was it, 2016, right? It was the, the end of 16, I think, November time frame, around there. But uh, during the Dyn attack where a lot of the recursive DNS servers uh, services went down, including Dyn and Google was affected, uh, a lot of the big ones were affected, we still remained up because of our, first of all, because of the, the um, strength and, and, and reliability of our, of our da- multiple data centers around the globe but also because of our, uh, specialized caching features smart that cache. allowed us, yep. right. Our, our, smart cache to be able to continue to provide IP addresses of servers that were, uh, you know, they were, the servers were still up, but the DNS, uh, services were down and they weren't able to do the recursive searches. And because of that, they were getting a lot of NX domains or just not responding fast enough for the browser, uh, which was causing you know the outages that I think it was mostly felt on the East coast, but, um, right. definitely felt, you know, globally for sure. Um, All right, cool. So we've mentioned... All right, so we know that Umbrella comes from uh, the acquisition of OpenDNS. We know the two uh, very well-known IP addresses, 208.67.222.222 and 220.220. So beyond just being a um, security and a content filtering organization, um, what are some of the other cool things we can do for, uh, let's say, uh, connections to domains that don't really necessarily fit into either one of those two categories, right? Of either good or bad, right? What, 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 what can we do in that realm? So you would be calling it a gray domain? <laughs> a gray. Sure, I'll call it a gray domain. I will call it whatever you want, Sean. So
1: um, <laughs> yeah. So thanks for leading that one. That was good. Um, so what we have, uh, we have what we call our gray list, and that's a list of domains where. It's not, it's not black or white if it's, if it's blocked or if, if it's allowed or, or, or bad. It's something that we want to do a little bit more inspection on, and then if we, if there's any files downloaded, for example, we can then uh, ha- have AMP do a check for that. So uh, Umbrella has a direct integration with Cisco's AMP. It's actually the only Cisco product right now where I believe um, it doesn't require a separate license for AMP, and it's automatically included in your umbrella description. So if there's a domain that's on our gray list and a user tries to go to it, instead of returning either the block page IP address or the IP of the site, we return the IP address of our of our intelligent proxy. And at that point, we will proxy that particular piece of traffic, um, block the bad stuff, allow the good stuff. Any files will get inspected by AMP. If AMP doesn't know, um, About this file, we'll we'll then send it to a traditional antivirus, Um, and then at that point, if it's blocked, we'll go ahead and block the file. If it's not blocked, we'll start sending it back down to the customer after the first 50 megs. So it gives us a um, sort of a combination of the best of both worlds, right? So if if you also want to be able to do SSL decryption for 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 certain sites, but still have that DNS-based security for Allow and blocking, and then give give the user a, a cleaner a cleaner internet experience. And then for any of the stuff that we're not sure of, we can then pass it through the proxy to kind of um, have that to do the last line of inspection.
0: So this is what we would call the intelligent proxy, right? Because we're not going to proxy all of the connections, right? We're we're right. only going to we're only going to proxy and inspect those connections that fall into that gray list. Correct. Um, and the 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 way I like to kind of formulate it and, and visualize it for the customers when I'm talking about it is you know let's say you load up a regular web page and there's there's images and affiliates and all this other stuff that's getting pulled in from all these different domains and lookups when you actually look at a web web source page of, of uh, a website that you're loading here it's, it's gonna pull content from various locations various sources and each one of those is gonna require a dns lookup in order to make that connection and you know let's say there's that little advertisement in the upper right hand corner that hundred by hundred pixel advertisement if that domain it falls under that gray list, that connection is going to be what's proxied. Everything else is going to, is going to show up and, and get resolved normally, and that's all going to show up in the logs. It's going to do checks for security and also for content, um, but that connection, maybe it's delayed by half a second or a second because it has to go through that process, but the look and feel for the user, the end user, is not going to be noticeable because everything else is going to load up. It's just that stuff that takes maybe a little bit longer to load because we're going through a proxy and doing the inspection. And you mentioned uh, the SSL inspection. Um, that's a key feature, but it's definitely something that's going to that's getting harder and harder to do these days, as especially we move to uh, HSTS and, and TLS 1.3. Um, you know, so it's definitely something that you know our customers ask about because of the fact that a lot of traffic is becoming in- encrypted. What is it like 60 percent? I think now is 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 falling under that yep. uh, SSL encryption. Um, but it's going to be something that's going to be harder to do moving forward um but you know we do have some uh some solutions for that we've talked about it on our previous podcast about enterprise networking using the encrypted traffic analytics of the catalyst 9300 series to be able to do those um uh to look inside encrypted traffic without decrypting it right including hsts and tls 1.3 um so we do have solutions in place there but another thing i want to mention uh and maybe you can talk about sean i wasn't on the notes here Um, around the lines of uh, SSL encryption, those DNS queries that go out to Umbrella, Mm -hmm. um, we're not sending them out the way that most uh, DNS queries are going out, right? UDP over port 53, right? We're doing something a little different. So we are in the
1: case of say our roaming client or if using our virtual clients um, Mm -hmm. or or, or any of our our integrations, say with the Meraki or the ISR 4K, with those devices or with the roaming client, we are encrypting that traffic using DNS script. So we're actually establishing a DNS script um, connection back to our resolvers, so all those queries are, are then encrypted. So even if someone is sitting on the network, they won't actually be able to see what uh, a user is querying for. If you're doing just your normal um, DNS-based forwarding from, your, say, your domain controller, by default, DNS script isn't on a Windows box, right? Um, right. So those would be in the clear, but you could, if you wanted to... Um, download the open-source DNS script and actually run that on your DC's so yeah with Cisco umbrella obviously you have the primary features of IP DNS layer enforcement um, intelligent proxy What are some of the other secondary features i know there's things like shadow it um app discovery and additional reporting so if you could touch on that that'd be great yeah sure um so app discovery that's actually our one of our newer ga features one of our newer reports Um, it is our shadow it report it um, used to be our cloud services report so any current customers if you're uh, familiar with the cloud services report it gave you a um, list of um, the most not noisiest apps but i guess but the most um, active apps on, on your network but just in a very rudimentary list the app discovery d- um, report actually expands upon that and pulls in data from our sister tool called cloud which which is our casby solution and that'll actually list all the applications in your network and as well as give it a risk score and that risk score can be based on things like vendor compliance um, what type of data is stored in this app um is the developer reputable, and things like that. And then it will order those into you know, high risk, low risk. And then at that point, you can audit them. So you could say, this is under review, or or I trust this app. I know my business is using this app. You can block an app right from the report as well. So if, for example, you're a Dropbox shop, and you're seeing more traffic going to, say, Box or OneDrive, and you, you, you're you realizing that there's probably data being shared um, in, in a uh, file sharing application that's not sanctioned, go ahead and, and, and block those at the network level, and then those could also be blocked at the roaming cli- client level. So even if someone's sitting at a Starbucks, they wouldn't be able to access those, those third-party sharing sites that, that aren't sanctioned. Um, and it just kind of allows you to get a bigger picture of what's going on in the network. And if you have, say, Active Directory tied into Umbrella, you could then see it at a user level. So at that point, if you're seeing a particular user using applications that that IT hasn't sanctioned, maybe at that point you can go have that conversation, find out if it was approved by management or what have you.
0: Yeah, we, we call that person, that user Karen in accounting. It's, it's always Karen. <laughs> it's always Karen. So when, when Karen is, uh, is going to Dropbox, when you guys have a contract with Google or whoever, uh, you can go and uh, have a discussion with Karen. Um, so one of the coolest features I like out of Umbrella and one of the things I get a lot of feedback from my customers is the reporting capabilities, right? A lot of them coming from um, older products, competitive products, whatever, they... Usually, usually the problem they have is either it's too complicated, especially the proxy stuff. They they getting the proxy stuff to work properly is either too complicated for them or it always breaks. Uh, and the, usually, the other top thing that I hear is an issue is reporting. Uh, getting reporting out of there in a way because usually nine times out of ten, the reporting that you're getting out of a, a service like this is because someone in HR is asking for a report on Karen, right? What is Karen doing? Is Karen going to Facebook? You know, how, how long are they on? What, what kind of websites is, is, are they going to? Um, getting that report out of most of these services is either time-consuming, difficult to do, because, or, or you know, get it, getting it in a way that's legible for a non-IT person usually takes three or four tries. The reporting out of Umbrella, however, I've heard a lot of good things about as far as being able to uh, narrow down to a specific user, time frame, you know, if I want things that are blocked only, um, so beyond just being able to get uh, the reports for you know what is that person doing, the 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 cloud services or the shadow IT stuff, right? That we that we worry about those users that are going to sites that are using cloud services that are not sanctioned by IT. Uh, being able to get those reports done up quickly, even getting them scheduled on a you know a, an email blast, like a weekly email that you go through, very easy to set up, and and very. Um, very good, easy to read when they do come in.
1: Right. I think the other awesome part too with reporting is it, it's it like and like you said it's it's very easy to set up, very easy to read. So we can actually create a reporting only user. So if you're getting those requests from HR a lot and it's kind of taking time away from your other work, create someone in HR just a reporting only account. Have them log in, show them, give them a five minute tutorial, and then they're they're off to the races and they can just run run their own reports as, as as they see fit without having to put in a ticket every time they need to see something
0: so we've talked about some of the primary and secondary features of umbrella Sean how easy is this to deploy what what kind of uh, hardware do I need what kind of d- deployment am I looking at in terms of time frame what am I looking at
1: initial deployment um, can be, can be stood up in five to 10 minutes. Um, my AM on these calls tells customers every time five to 10 minutes, I'm like, well, then you could do these calls yourself then, I guess, right? <laughs> um, but Typical it, account manager. At the end of the day, it's just DNS, right? Um, yeah. It's changing your forwarders on your local DNS servers, most likely your Active Directory servers that, mm-hmm. that are handling DNS and just have the traffic forwarded to us. You tell us what um, your public IP address is. And so essentially where your DNS traffic is coming from at that point, um, we'll be able to enforce and report based on on, on your public address, obviously that's not going to get you to the user level. So with that, we can do that with our roaming clients we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, With the roaming clients, you'll get a host name and IP address right out of the gate. From there, you can bolt on Active Directory so that you can then report um, on AD users. And then also apply policy based on AD security groups, so you could have a group of users for one policy, or you can get as granular as a single policy for a single user if someone needs access to something different. And then from there, we also have our virtual appliances, which essentially acts as a... um, a DNS forwarder, so it sits in the middle between the user and your local DNS server. Anything sent to the virtual appliance um, is, if it's an internal query, it gets sent to the local DNS server and that's handled as usual. Anything external gets sent to um, our, our our resolvers and then tagged in the packet user information, internal IP address, and at that point we can also get AD user attribution with the virtual um, appliance while they're on network. And then off network, obviously the uh, roaming client would 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 kick in. And those are the, yeah. the the main deliveries. Sorry, Joe, were you going to say something? Um, I was just going to say. I mean, Cisco has what seventy thousand plus employees, and they rolled out Umbrella uh, via AnyConnect in a, what a weekend, less than a weekend. It was like an hour. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. a the success story is actually really awesome about that. There's a the, there's a video that I, I if, if you want to link to in the show notes about yeah. Cisco's uh, deployment. It was very impressive.
0: So nice. So the the virtual appliance is extremely helpful for devices that are on your network that maybe don't have an operating system or you have no control over like a BYOD network, right? You can, when you create policies, you can tie them to identities. An identity can be either an external network address, an internal network address or range, uh, an endpoint specifically, or uh, an active directory object, right? Um, So you can can basically say, okay, my, my BYOD network, which is, you know a, a 22-bit network that's going to have this policy applied to it and you can get that you can resolve that internal ip address uh, by using the virtual appliance which they're very small uh, linux-based vms i think what are they ha- half a gig of memory and, and two virtual cpus i mean they're they are tiny machines just lightweight. late light. yeah and they, they'll keep themselves up to date just find a place to put them in your virtual environment and you're uh, you're, you're off to the races there and the
1: other um, the other deployment scenarios I'll touch on, and I mentioned them earlier. So we do have integrations with other Cisco products as well as some of the third-party vendors. So right now we have integrations with the Meraki MR uh, APs. We have Meraki MX coming to the line as well as um, ISR 4Ks and, and 1Ks. Where they'll, I like to call it, this is not in any marketing, but I like to call it a giant roaming client just because it's going to force the traffic to Umbrella regardless. So if you have an ISR router, drop it into a branch location with, with the Umbrella integration, any, traffic, any DNS traffic that, that, that is egressing that router is going to be forced to Umbrella. So even if somebody is, comes on the network, changes their DNS to Google, they're going to make that query, the ISR is going to see that that's a DNS query, and it's going to force it to Umbrella regardless and actually um, append the internal IP address. So you'll also get internal IP address visibility with with those integrations.
0: Nice. And you can do that enforcement on, as you said, the ISR, um, ISR models. The Meraki MRs. Uh, I think it's coming eventually to the MXs. Correct. Uh, I think it's in beta right now or alpha. Um, and then the endpoints themselves, right? So any of those devices, when you, if you try to bypass this feature by, let's say, putting in quad eight or whatever as your as your public DNS lookup, um, it's going to bypass that basically. Wrap up the um, the DNS query, encrypt it, include the metadata like the internal IP address, the user. Um, this way, when it gets resolved by Umbrella. We know what policy to apply, correct? Correct. Beautiful. And one more thing on the roaming clients. Um, we have two methods of deployment for the roaming clients, correct?
1: Yes. We have a standalone client, um, and then mm-hmm. we also have a direct integration with Cisco's AnyConnect. So if you're already an AnyConnect user, we can attach a, a roaming module directly to that, um, and you can, it will automatically push out if you, um, the next time someone connects to the VPN, to their ASA.
0: Beautiful. So very easy to deploy. deploy. Um, And then, of course, we also have our ability to do proof of values um, and and trials on this product because it's such an easy product to deploy and stand up. Um, So, of course, for any information, uh, if any interest there, reach out to your account team uh, to uh, see a demo, learn more, and then maybe uh, if you're interested, setting up a, a POV. So, Sean, I know you listened to the last um, episode we did with Keith about AMP for Endpoints. And for our users, our listeners that um, haven't gotten a chance to listen to it, I, I implore you to uh, check it out. Uh, I think um, both this product and AMP for Endpoints really go, or AMP in general, really go hand in hand uh, in terms of uh, cloud service and the intelligence we get from Talos, as well as the internal intelligence that we come up with on our, on our own. Um, we talked about the Cisco threat response. Uh, module that free, uh, app, uh, web-based application that we have. There's some integration with umbrella. Can you, can you share, um, share a little bit more about that with us? Sure.
1: So there's actually three different integrations with, with umbrella. Um, and in th- Cisco threat response, for those that don't know, is included in all Cisco, uh, security packages. Now it's just a, mm-hmm. it's is a free add on. So with umbrella, you can tie it into our reporting API. So that would allow you to pull in security events and do, um, Research or in an in investigation into a particular domain. If you put into threat response, it'll show any machines that that queried for that domain. And then if you also have AMP integrated, the cool thing is it'll also show any any machines that if it was a piece of known malware and AMP saw something, and then it would also show the query from Umbrella. So it's a good kind of single pane of glass for for multiple Cisco products. The other integration we have is with our enforcement API. So if you want to um, block something directly from threat response that may not be already on our block list, maybe something very new that, that came in from another tool, you can block that directly from, from CTR, with, and, and, and that'll get pushed to all of your roaming clients, any any integrations you have, AD users, what have you. And the third integration is with Investigate. So Investigate is our, um, our, 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 our threat research tool, right? So it's a way for you to see why um, Umbrella is blocking something. Number of DNS queries, who registered the domain? Who, where are the name servers, um, co-occurrences, and things like that. You can pull all of that in at, at the API level in, in, into CTR so that if you pull up a domain, um, it'll then query investigate and say, okay, here's what Umbrella knows about it. Here's, here's why it's malicious. Here's the threat score. This is why it's blocked. Or, or if it's not blocked, what have you. And then you can also tie that into Talos as well, which is already part of, of CTR. Um, and then if you have AMP as well.
0: Beautiful. So just it gives you more information on those threats and uh, searches. You know allows you to search your umbrella um, reports to be able to get that enrichment. And then, as you said, with the enforcement API, allows you to from that same, that single pane of glass. As much as I hate that term, <laughs> um, <laughs> allows you to go ahead and block that domain uh, and then get the peek behind the curtain of uh, you know what makes uh, what where the intelligence uh, behind uh, umbrella comes from. Um, so it seems like a pretty simple product, right? It seems like a, a pretty straightforward way to do things. Um, as much as you can, uh, you know, tell us what's what's coming around the corner. Um, what are kind of some of the newer features that have recently come out besides the integration with CTR? Uh, and, you know, as much as you can, tell us what's com- coming around the corner.
1: Yeah, so um, one of the newer features we just released, um, it's, it's multi-domain support. So prior to having multi-domain support, if you had multiple AD domains, you would have to have multiple dashboards and, and, mm. and manage each domain separately. We now have the ability to um, manage multiple domains from a single umbrella dashboard so that you can have all your users from all domains in that particular dashboard. So that's right now in limited availability. Um, if you're a current Cisco customer and you wanna try it out, you can just reach out to our support team and, and they can onboard you. Um, the other one is um, the cloud-delivered firewall. So right now, that that has just been added to our docs page, so I know 100% I can talk about it. (laughs) Um, So the the use case now is you would essentially create a IPsec tunnel from... um, any device, really, but obviously, right now we have um, main support for things like the, the ISR and an ASA, and then from there you would direct wh- whatever traffic you want to the um, and then to the cloud firewall, and that would mean all of your traffic would then egress our data centers. So the so the main use case right now f- for the cloud firewall, w- which is in limited availability, is guest networks or lab networks. So the big use case with guest networks is. If you're egressing guest traffic out of your IP space, that could affect your bit site score, depending on, on what those users are doing. So at that point, you can then egress all that traffic out of our data centers and not have to worry about that affecting your bit site score. Um, there were some rather large companies that um, found that their user base was complaining because of the bit site score was so low, so they were losing faith in the particular organization. At that point, they could then just offload all of that traffic to us and then not have to worry about that um, affecting their... Their reputation. Um, the other use case, obviously, lab networks. If you don't have, say, a main firewall, or you just have a, a small router, but you have the ability to do an IPsec tunnel, you could just send all the traffic to us, and then you can do the firewalling in the cloud. So you can block uh, by IP address, just like you would any other um, normal firewall. You can block ports and, and um, so- source addresses and what have you. And then uh, eventually, that's going to. There'll be more and more use cases, but right now we're looking just at, at, at the lab and guest networks. And the other one I can touch on briefly, but but not go into m- much detail. Um, we do have a full proxy coming for customers that um, do that do require all traffic to be passed through and inspected, and all traffic to be decrypted if if they if they so wish.
0: Wow, pretty cool. That's uh, that's a lot of stuff coming down the, the pipe there. So <clears throat> we've talked about some of the new features. We talked about what Umbrella is. Um, can you touch on some of our competitive differentiators between the other players in this space? Definitely. So I think we kind of touched on it throughout the whole
1: episode, but I think the biggest one is um, since we're DNS-based, we can be um, we can be very agile when it comes to blocking or, or allowing domains. So if we need to block something, it can be blocked globally within a couple of minutes uh, versus, say, if you're a proxy vendor, you have to pull down new signatures every, what, 15 to 20 minutes, maybe even longer depending on on, on what your setting is at. And with DNS-based protection, if we're blocking a particular site at that point, um, it's just blocked. You're not having to pass everything through, through a proxy. If if we're if if we're allowing it, you can you don't even need the web proxy at that point. So you can just send the user direct to the internet, and they're just going to have right. a, a a clean connection to their Facebook or what have you. Right at that point, <laughs> n- it's it, it's not passing through a proxy to be scanned, whether whether the proxy is on-prem or whether the proxy is in the cloud. And I think the the biggest takeaway for the, for competitive Differentiators is probably um, Talos, right? Talos and, yeah. and the legacy OpenDNS research team, um, the Talos numbers. I'm, I'm I'm sure you know them better than I do. Yeah. you could spelt them off <laughs> if you want, but the <laughs> the numbers of, of malicious domains and and things that that they see daily is I think where the biggest private research team next to like the CAA yeah. I think is, the, is is what we usually try to say.
0: Yeah, the we're only NSA. We're only. Yeah, we're only second to the, gov- the three-letter government-run uh, 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 right. pr- uh, public sector uh, <laughs> departments out there in terms of um, breadth and knowledge and visibility. Um, and to touch on what those numbers are, I think we, uh, with Talos, we're blocking 20 billion threats per day, um, which is about three times more uh, than the number of Google searches performed in a day. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive stuff. Uh, I do hope to get the, uh, the Cisco Talos team here. Uh, at some point for uh, for a bonus episode here, uh, but yeah, I think I think across all of the Cisco security products, uh, if you've listened to this podcast enough and we're talking security, you will hear Cisco Talos come up in the conversation because it is a big uh, differentiator because of the fact that we are a global organization and we exist in so many different products, whether it's uh, network based, uh, looking at uh, network flows within within inside the network or cloud based, uh, such as our Casby solution, CloudLock or Umbrella, um, we're going to see those threats as they morph, and I, you, you touched on it before, um, and if, you, if, if we can dive a little bit deeper into this, I'd, I'd like to, because I do remember um, watching a, a webinar about how the inner workings of, of Umbrella, right, and OpenDNS, and how uh, we use algorithms and machine learning to be able to, uh, as you said, see block domains before they actually go live, just based on the knowledge that we have and, and, and the, the patterns that we see, right? Whether it's um, whether it's malicious actors using the same email address to register a domain that, of one that's already blocked, right? We're, we're obviously going to block that before it even gets used. But even the the domain um, generation bit, right? Where like WannaCry was used uh, as a uh, it was the uh, the domain that was used was something that was generated. Um, it wasn't anything that was you know legible or, or readable. Um, but looking at those types of patterns and then having that global visibility. Um, along with the threat intelligence that we're getting from Talos, allows just even the the algorithms and the machines and the research team within uh, the OpenDNS um, organization to be able to to quickly uh, classify these domains as malicious or, or not, right? Um, Keith and I talked about the WannaCry campaign and how AMP was within an hour and a half, I believe, after the, the campaign started, had already... Um, analyzed and blew up and, and, and understood what that payload was. On the umbrella side of the house, right, if you have that newly seen check uh, newly seen domains checkbox checked off for blocking, um, your users were, any uh, umbrella customers were already protected uh, within minutes after the WannaCry campaign started because we had never seen that domain come up before, automatically blocking it. And within an hour after that, we had um, classified that that callback domain as, you know a malicious callback domain, and we're actively blocking it. And because of the way WannaCry worked, because we presented an HTTP page, it kill it automatically activated that kill switch. And I was actually surprised to see just as recently as a few months ago, um when I queried that domain that's that's being used by WannaCry as the callback, that there were still, I think, one hundred eighty thousand queries a day yep. that were, that were <laughs> it's going still to that very domain. active. It's it's incredible, and that was you know what two years ago now. It's it's coming up on so. Um, it, 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 it behooves you to look at the reports. Sean and I were just talking you know, before we started the, the recording here of customers that have gone through a, a POV with Umbrella and found out that they have servers that are c- uh, doing command and control callback to crypto mining servers, right? And they, they had no idea that they had a, a server in their environment that was crypto mining for somebody else. Um, and then when we dug into it deeper, at least the customer I was working with, I think it was installed on their on their server for about six months. So six months of crypto mining on a server, jacking up the uh, the, the, the power use and the, the heat, I'm sure, of that server put out, and they had no idea. And it wasn't until they did an Umbrella POV that they saw that that command control callback server was being called and were actively able to go after it and, and take care of that actually with AMP. They ended up using AMP frame points on that server and took care of it. So. Uh, nice success story, especially how the two products can integrate. Um, so I think we're gonna wrap things up here, Sean, were there any um, any final points you wanted to make anything you wanted to touch on?
1: No, I think we pretty much
0: hit hit all the uh, hit all the uh, hit all the talking points. Beautiful. Joe, any questions you have for Sean before we let him go?
1: No, I think you guys nailed it.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you, Sean, for coming on today's episode, and thank you for listening to ConFT with the RSE. If you have a question you'd like us to answer or a topic you'd like to suggest, please send us an email at hello at conft.show. And if you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues and giving us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can get notified when we publish a new episode every two weeks. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. As always, stay safe out there and don't forget to save that config.